Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brian Christopherson, Michael Brunts. Can you, uh, can you feel the Christmas spirit in the air, gentlemen? I do, yeah. I've been listening to Christmas music for like a month, and I don't I, – that's not usual for me, but I've, it's kind of nice background driving music, I find. What is your – so I, I'm curious, like what is your take on Christmas music? Do you want it to be – um contemporary remakes of old songs do you want it to be the old songs do you want it to just be like crooners like bing crosby like what where do you want it to go bc i like mostly crooners i like nat i like the old stuff i like nat king cole crosby yeah um i give a lot of props i've said this before i'll say it again mariah carey busting through the old guard to create a song that most people enjoy and some people rank near their in their top five um, I think is a massive accomplishment. One of the biggest accomplishments we've ever seen in the music industry, actually. See, I like to imagine that you're all in on like the contemporary, like the, you know, pick an artist and they just remake a bunch of famous Christmas songs. But then you do it in such a way that you're just watching concerts, <laughs> like YouTube concerts, like Nirvana has a Christmas album that you're, uh, that you're, you're watching a Nirvana Christmas concert circa 1993 on YouTube. That's, that's how I like to imagine you get most of your music. No, but a few years ago, my brother and I went to the Lambeau Field to watch the Vikings play the Packers on December 23rd. Good game. It was, a, well, it was sort of. It was, Brett Hundley was the quarterback for the Packers that night. Vikings were good that year, and they shut him out. And so that might have been part of the reason. But after the game, as we're leaving Lambeau Field, they're playing a song, Chestnuts Roasting on Open Fire, not the original version. It's a modern version. And I say to my brother, I was like, I kind of like this. Who is this? It was Justin Bieber. And I, I, I can't lie, I kind of liked it. But it might have been being intoxicated by the fact the Vikings had just shut out the Packers in Lambeau Field. So it might, they could have played like any song possible, and I, I would have uh, jumped on board probably. Those were joyous times. Marilyn Manson could have been singing Last <laughs> Christmas, and you would have just been eating that up. Like this is a this is a beautiful melody, <laughs> yeah. So I suppose uh, sometimes it just depends on the setting when you hear a song. I guess that's the thing. I've gr- I've grown to like that Wham song that I thought was trash for a long time, um, but it gets in my head that Christmas song. I, I just I just looked it up. It was recorded in 1984, so it's becoming a classic. I mean, you're you're zooming in on 40 years there. Really. Man, that's wild. Brunch, you, anyway. don't, Brunch, you don't strike me as a Christmas music guy. I, uh, I, I can get in uh, kind of the, uh, the, the Peanuts, Charlie Brown Christmas um, soundtrack that's been on regular rotation this year. The, uh, the, the, big, the big discussion around the house the last couple of days has been my daughter being very concerned about Santa coming to the house and making sure that he's wearing a mask. Seriously. We've, 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 we've had this discussion about, yes, Santa will come into the house. Yes, he will also wear a mask. So, um, it's adorable and also kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, well, and, and, and also we had, had somebody come look at the heater yesterday and he was wearing a mask. So there's some recency here. So maybe she thinks that Santa came and fixed the heater. I don't know. It's been a lot going on over here. Was the guy who fixed the heater maybe roughly the same same size as Santa would be? Because no, you know. he was like he was like five eight, maybe like a oh, buck okay. fifty. Like I, there there really <laughs> should be no confusion about 
whether or not that was Santa. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, look, you know, maybe he just really packs it on with the Christmas cookies in between fixing heaters and then, you know, the 25th. So it's why, it's why it takes Santa so long to make all those toys is because he's busy fixing HVAC the rest of the year. <laughs> that sounds about right. All right, let's, let's dive into a postmortem on Nebraska's football season. They finished three and five. They played eight of the, the possible nine games that they had on their schedule. They opted out from a bowl game. We can actually start with that real briefly. I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on it, but we talked a little on Saturday morning, actually, about whether Nebraska would play in a game or not. And, and at the time, it, it certainly seemed like their season, they were there, seemed like they were ready to call it quits. That's what they ended up doing. BC, do you have any additional thoughts on Nebraska's decision to just go ahead and say, nah, we're good as it relates to playing in a bowl game? Yeah. I mean, I kind of wish they would have played, honestly, but I also get it. Uh, it's, it's one of those deals where you got to read your room. I mean, you got to, if, if the temperature in that room is, is pointing toward not going, I don't think you want to uh, keep guys for another seven, 10 days over Christmas for a game that you hope will get played. Um, I don't know what the latest is with Iowa. Are they, are they even playing that music city bowl now? They, I mean, they were testing positive. So there, there were these concerns, you know, that there, some of these bowl games you'd get right up to it. You'd have your guys stick around through Christmas and then they wouldn't even happen. So um, I, I get, get it. Um, I got the sense Friday that it was a team that was worn out. I think had they beaten uh, Minnesota, I think they probably would have played in a bowl and tried to go for a record above 500, uh, but they didn't. And I think also had they played uh, – Maybe this shouldn't have mattered, but I think had they played that game against Rutgers and Lincoln, uh, maybe that changes the, the tune too. Uh, you know, you go all the way out there and fly back, get back at four in the morning, um, and guys vote eight hours after that. I wonder if that played a part in it. What do you think, Bruns? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think I've changed my thinking too much since we talked about it on Saturday. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the same boat Brian is, where you would have liked to have seen, I think, if you could have built on – what you did against Rutgers at the same time. I mean, everybody seemed like they were just kind of wiped uh, after that game. So I, I get it, but um, you know, it, it's, it's too bad. Cause I think Nebraska could have had, you know, kind of an, some intriguing matchups out there. I mean, I, I think they probably would have been a, a pretty strong contender for that bowl game in Charlotte uh, against Wake Forest. So you know, it, it is, you know, what it is. And, and now, you know, you kind of start turning your attention towards, next year if you're the staff and you know you get guys back on campus uh third week of january you get a ton of early enrollees coming in you start uh getting ready for spring ball i mean it's i I don't know i mean it's a quick turn of the page uh after a pretty long year but uh you know just after that game it just seemed like everybody was uh was just gassed i would be curious to see kind of what the or to hear kind of what the vote was uh among the players that you know, who wanted to play and who didn't. I, I suspect that, you know, quite a few of those guys were, were no's, but I think you'd probably also see more than a more than a few guys that still wanted to play. I mean, I, I know it wasn't unanimous because I, I guarantee Garrett Nelson was probably wanting to play, <laughs> play a, a game that day. Garrett Nelson voted four times, yes, and it still didn't, <laughs> still didn't work out. I thought it falls along the – the side of the ball a little bit. I would imagine the defense feeling pretty good about how they played the last 
month or so wouldn't have minded getting another game in. Whereas, you know, with the offense, it's kind of been a, a hit or miss struggle. So I, I sort of almost wonder if, if that wasn't at least a little part of it. Um, and then I, I, I'm really actually curious as, as Brunts was saying that, and I was starting to think, you know, with those seniors, were they good? Like your final time of playing is against Rutgers at Rutgers on a Friday night. You went out with a win. Like maybe you're just content. Like if you know you're not coming back, you're not playing again next season. Uh, maybe you were just content to just call it good there and you didn't need to go down to Fort Worth to play a game. It, it's I, I noticed on social media a lot with some of the seniors that, that there was very much a feeling of like, okay, that, that was it. You know, like there's a lot of talk of, you know, going out on a high note and all this other stuff. So um, I, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, too, if, if your seniors are saying no, um, you know, that, that's a pretty strong indicator, I think, of, of maybe where the, the room was at. That was Nebraska's first win in its final game of the season since 2015 when they beat UCLA. I think they only have – three wins in their last game of the season dating back to like 2010. Well, it would be, it would, it would have been the Gator bowl against Georgia. Yep. UCLA and the uh, red box foster farms, whatever they were calling it at the time. And then Rutgers. Yeah. Cause it, the last bowl game would have been 2009, right? Against Arizona. Yep. You keep going back. So it's just something that kind of caught my attention when I sat back and thought about it because they keep losing to Iowa and they keep not getting the bowl games. And then when they have gone to bowl games, they haven't won a lot of them lately. So on that depressing note, let's try to talk about some of the positives from the year. What, Brunson, if you were going to try to try to look at it and say that there was three players – you know, that, that really kind of caught your attention this year that maybe you thought could have been a breakout year for him, but they weren't, you know, it wasn't Wandale. It wasn't an established guy. It was someone that, that either is new to the scene or was really kind of getting some first playing time. Who do you feel better about after the end of this season as we go into 2021? You want three? Yeah, two to three. Okay. Uh I don't know that anybody had a stronger finish to the season than Nick Henrik at inside linebacker and outside linebacker. Um, I think the way that he played over the last few games uh, really put him in the mix to potentially start next year uh, at, at inside backer, depending on kind of what happens with some of the veteran guys, you know, Honus and obviously Colin Miller's hung it up, but uh, he really impressed me down the stretch. Garrett Nelson, he played last year quite a bit, but I think he played great down the stretch as well as a guy that, um, you know, kind of, I guess, had the production to back up the emotion and everything else that he plays with, uh, which was good to see, especially at a position that uh, is still, I, I think, in flux a little bit, and especially with JoJo Doman's decision uh, lingering out there. And then – Let's see here. You're going to stop at two? Because if you do, you're going to get a C grade on this. Yeah, I'll stop. I, I, I think uh, – I mean, a lot of those guys are on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but, but I'd be curious to hear who you guys have. Brunt's opting out of playing a third play. Yeah. Man. Mm -hmm. I, don't want, I don't want the Duke's Mayo Bowl of answers. 
Jeez, something in the water here. Um, okay, so you, t- you, you took some good ones off the table because I was thinking Garrett Nelson. Um, yeah, for- I, I think all of us have kind of noticed the last couple of weeks how well Garrett Nelson was playing. And then they were putting him in, in pretty good spots. I, I feel like if you have him playing forward for the most part, that's what you want. You can maybe get a little side to side, but you really don't want to drop him in the coverage. So he was he was pretty noticeable in that Purdue game on third down, and then certainly against Rutgers and Minnesota as well. So those those last three games. All right, Brian. How about okay, okay. My sort of revelation for the whole season would be um, Casey Rogers. You know, um, I mean, if you think about it, we didn't know for sure what he was going to be like uh, before the first game, it, how much he would contribute, and he became a full time guy. And he became active, and uh, I don't know. He jumped out in a pretty big way. Um, obviously, there was encouraging stuff happening with Damian Daniels, too. I think that helped some of those guys on the D-line. I thought Daniels was improving. But Casey Rogers definitely uh, jumps out. Um, after that, uh, I mean, Corcoran, um, it's just a small sample size, but – I felt like that opt-out situation with Hymas ended up working well for Nebraska. I was when it happened, I was like, oh, "Okay, this could be costly." Because I thought, you know, as good as Turner was as a recruit, it's always tough in your first start. That's an active defensive line he's going against. If he has a really rough night, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about why did Hymas not play one more game? And it ended out working out for uh, Corcoran very well that he played very sturdy. And uh, sure, there's things he can work on, but I thought that was impressive. So that was a guy who was trending up off of his one game. Yeah, um, I'll go with a couple offensive guys since uh, we don't have many in there. Here's a guy that we've talked about a lot on this show in previous seasons, and it probably took that Jack Stoll knee injury for him to kind of get the real run that he's had. But Austin Allen has been a guy for Nebraska – uh, this season and yeah. and you know again he's not someone that I think is going to turn around and win Big Ten tight end of the year but I, I really do think that he gives them a really nice option certainly in the red zone they finally found him the other week what was it Minnesota for that touchdown but he he came up with some big catches and he, he proved to be actually one of their better deeper ball targets which isn't to say much because a lot of it was over you know 15 yards and shy of 30 yards but he still had several of those big catches. You think about some of the plays that Nebraska had and, and that he was able to make. I mean, I, I think Austin Allen uh, encourages me a little bit uh, that they, they can have a situation next year where you have Allen, Vokalek, and Thomas Fedoni sort of as your tight ends, and you can use them all a little bit differently. I thought we'd see more out of Travis Vokalek this year. Um, so I definitely was, was wrong on that one. I, I think that, you know, when he had his opportunities, he was fine, but Austin Allen was a tight end that I thought came away, uh, looking pretty good this year. And I, I feel like he's going to be able to do some things for him in 2021. And then, you know, again, sort of like the Turner Corcoran thing, not a ton of sample size, though, but some of it, he didn't always have the ball thrown his way. Xavier Betts up until the last game where he wasn't able to play because of health reasons. Uh, had a nice season. I mean, I just – I think he's going to be a really good wide receiver. Say what we want about whatever Nebraska has going on with the quarterbacks. I think Xavier Betts is going to be among the most complete wide receivers we've seen Nebraska have uh, in some time. I think he can do a lot. Like, I think he has a big catch radius. I don't think he's afraid to go up and go get the ball. 
He obviously has pretty good vision when they run those pop plays. So I, I really like what I saw out of Xavier Betts. And it, it makes me feel better about that wide receiver position as a whole. I loved Xavier Betts. What was it? Penn State where he had the long touchdown and yeah. he did it. He did an interview afterward on zoom with us. It was just like a five minute interview, but I was really impressed with just all the things he said. And he's a guy, whether, whatever you think of Nebraska's process and getting receivers on the field and all that Xavier Betts, you could tell was fully engaged in how they were doing it. And he was definitely taking the coaching and taking the critiques and seeing that he still had room to go to be a, to be that guy who's out there all the time. And I just like the way his makeup and the way he was handling it. You could tell he was a guy who was in it for the, he's in it for the long haul. And um, he really impressed me. Yeah. Um, okay. So those are, those are some of the players that we like for next year. What's a position group Brunts that you felt like took a step forward? Uh. I mean, an obvious one's the defensive line. I think that was that was a group that all three of us had, you know, rightfully had concerns about going into the season. And I think, you know, that group held up pretty well. I mean, you got Ty Robinson playing well, um, you know, as a redshirt freshman. I, I think you got a lot more out of Damian Daniels than you had in the past. Ben Stilley elevated his play uh, to, to a place that he really hadn't been before. And, and it's – you guys mentioned Casey Rogers, too, is kind of being a revelation in that group. It's an interesting position group, too, because some of the guys that were brought in to really kind of help out with depth and, and you know, get some snaps, they really didn't play all that much. You didn't see a ton of Keem Green. You didn't see a, a lot of Jordan Riley. So, you know, it, it was kind of a, a small, small group. But, you know, you, you look at the way that they played against Iowa and, and some of those other, you know, more physical teams, and they played pretty good defense down the stretch. So that that was, to me, the – you know, the, the, a positive surprise. Um, you know, probably the other one I'd say is that the kicking. Um, Connor Culp certainly uh, solidified the, the field goal kicking. I mean, the rest of special teams is kind of a mess, but he at least felt, you know, when he got inside the uh, the opponent's 20 that you had a guy that could make a field goal if he needed him to. Yeah, which is a nice feeling coming off of that 2019 season. Is there another position group for you, Brun or not Bruns, uh, BC? Um. Middle linebacker, I thought, I thought they kind of solidified that a little bit. I'm not saying there's not room to go with it. There is, but there's a, you sort of feel good about that group because there's so many guys with so many years of eligibility still ahead. And it's rare that you would say that in a year where, you know, Colin Miller and Will Honus are leaving. Will Honus had a very good season. Uh, we, we'll see if Will Honus is leaving. I'm, I'm, kind of assuming that but even if he does um you know Reimer and Henrich are exciting there uh I I, I interviewed the you know Kalarovic from uh northern Iowa he's coming in in January and I, I tell you what he's got a good resume from an FCS school so far and I think he's gonna be right there and so you've already got a trio in the middle that you feel pretty good about even if Honus doesn't return and that's a group that I thought before the season might be able to answer that question and say, yeah, we're ready to, to take the next step. But I wasn't positive, and I, I thought they did. So I, I'd say them. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I don't know if there's another – I think the defensive line and I think inside linebackers stood out. I think outside linebacker I feel better about moving forward, but they still need that guy that you feel can really bring the presence off the edge. 
Um, you know, Felderius Payne did a nice job at times. Garrett Nelson did a nice job at times. Caleb Tanner showed up at times. But Caleb Tanner isn't the guy that I think people would hope that he would be at this point in his career. And I just – I don't know if they have a, a havoc-wreaking outside linebacker. And, and we know they don't have one in the recruiting class at this point. So maybe if they find someone in the transfer portal. But overall, I mean, it seemed like a more competent uh, second level to begin with with that Nebraska defense, which plays off of the, the help they got up front. I think that those two really kind of go in tandem together. Uh, and so that stood out. Offensively, it's really hard. I mean, tight ends played well. Um, but and, and I feel good about that group going forward. But that's as much to do with how I feel about Thomas Fedoni as it is – anything else all right let's wrap up our wrap up we're gonna have a million opportunities to talk about this stuff going forward but i do want just one concern from each of you that you have about nebraska after seeing this iteration in 2020 as they head into 2021 go ahead brian i've, I've got one and i'm guessing ours are probably similar but i'll let you go ahead well i'd like to say something original um, but it's, it's not going to be, um, I mean, it, it's, this team just gives the ball away like nobody's business. Um, and I mean, they ended up minus 11 in turnovers and of all the stats, you know, if you have a thin margin for error, um, that's gotta be the, the statistic that's in your favor that changes a three and five season into a five and three season. And, uh, it's, it's just not there for Nebraska and really aside from a couple of years hasn't been almost since we turned into the 21st century. I mean, it's just been like a constant minus uh, next to Nebraska's name there. And I guess the one thing I would say connected to that is this offense put so much on the QB run game. And that's isn't to excuse Adrian Martinez losing the ball because he's got to do better with that. And the, obviously that's something some people just think that's who he is, but he's somehow got to shake that label that he's turnover prone. But a big part of that is take some weight off his shoulders, get that eye back involved like they did um, on Friday night more and more uh, in 2021. And, uh, and maybe that helps with some of that. You, you know, those guys, those guys are brought on scholarship to tote the ball 20, 25 times. You don't necessarily think about that with your quarterback. So I'd like to see that shift more, and maybe that helps the issue, but it lingers and lingers for this program. Yeah, my, my concern is, is the what does the running back spot look like next season? Um, it seems that, that Dedrick Mills would be headed towards moving on. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but 396 yards rushing this year. That was second on the team behind Adrian Martinez. Then you go to Luke McCaffrey at 364, just right behind Mills. Behind him, Wondell Robinson at 240, who, you know, there, there were a few games where he really had to tote the rock, didn't do it as much as, as the season went on, but enough that he was being taken away from wide receiver. Beyond him, you had Marvin Scott with 62 yards rushing, Ramir Johnson with 30, Ronald Tompkins had 24, and Cooper Jewett had two. So – is there a guy in that stable of running backs right now and also adding Gabe Irvin to that mix at semester who can be that kind of featured back that allows them to use the running back more than they have? Because I agree. I mean, if you've got a good downhill running game and, and they use some pistol, 
uh, in that game against Rutgers, which I think was a really good look. Um, you know, you, you can take the, the load off of Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey to where they're not having to carry the ball as much. But we just don't have a sample size with any of those guys that are on the roster right now, aside from Wondell Robinson and, and obviously Mills, depending on his decision, to say that, uh, that they have the guy to do that. So that's a big concern, and I think something that they're going to have to figure out in the spring, whether that's just coaching guys up and, and figuring out if he's on the roster or – you know, going out and finding somebody in the portal or, or, or some other means of doing that. Cause it, it just looking at the, the way things were used in the, in this past season and the numbers that are there, uh, Nebraska's got some work to do to figure out those answers. My, my fear Brunts is that even if they have a guy that they could give the ball to a bunch, they've proven they won't do it. They only did it against Rutgers because it obviously was sort of the, the pathway to success in the second half but that's been there all year. Like I, I understand the offensive line maybe hasn't created the spacing and everything. And that teams are playing over the top of them because they don't have a lot of deep threats or whatever, but they're, they're just utter unwillingness to commit to a running game through the running back is more of a, a philosophy thing to me than it is about whether they have a guy in the room. I think Marvin Scott can be a good player. I'm excited for Gabe Irvin. I have no idea what to make of Sevion Morrison, but I think any of those three, have the ability to do what Diedrich Mills did. I spent all offseason talking about how I felt like they were finally going to be committed to running the ball based on what Greg Austin talked about, based on this self-scouting, based on everything they said last offseason. And within two to three games, it was pretty evident that Nebraska just wasn't going to play that way. And so I guess my, my fear is that we'll never even know because they're just I, – I don't think that they're willing to make the downhill running game the part of the offense it can just be a side feature that maybe gets used when everything else isn't working and so I, I I'm very skeptical of what this run game looks like but I, I agree that that is a big concern um, but my, my concern almost has more to do with how they're going to emphasize it and the philosophy of it than it does with even who carries the ball at this point well, it's interesting, though. I mean, you look at 2018. I mean, Divina Zigbo didn't have a significant number of carries higher than what Adrian Martinez did. But, I mean, that – I guess I was surprised this year that, that Mills didn't have more of a no Zigbo-like year because, it may, I mean, maybe that changes if Mills is healthier. But, I mean, I, I, I think they'd be more willing to do it if there's somebody that they feel that they have – if they feel like they have somebody that can do it. I mean, I, I just don't know. But I guess then you're asking for a running back that has the ability to hit a home run on 12 carries. Right. Well, I mean, that's, that, that's the philosophy. Yeah. I just think that's a tough way to live in the Big Ten. Like, that's not – I mean, that just doesn't seem like it's going to be there for you very often. And, and I, I mean, we've talked about it on this show a million times. But, I mean, Dedrick Mills has always struck me as a guy that – what you get out of them at the end is teams don't want to tackle. And so you kind of have to play the, the heavy carry game with them to sort of create those opportunities where he can run away late. And he had a couple big runs on Friday uh, and he's had a couple big runs in his career. I mean, that Wisconsin game is more in line with what Divino Zigbo was doing to Minnesota and Illinois and some of those other teams in 2018. But it, it just, I, I don't know. I just, I philosophically, I don't understand why they're so hesitant to just go downhill on teams unless they really feel like their offensive line absolutely can't generate the push to do it. 
But I think it just makes Adrian more dangerous. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when, when you have that complementary factor, uh, it just seems like then you get those sort of moments where, like, he's coasting against Rutgers, and it, there's nobody – that was kind of amazing. There's nobody on screen that was anywhere near him. Uh, and he just has that, like, 25-yard scramble run. There was the one where he almost he, – he looked a bit like the Illinois punter in some ways. Where he, <laughs> he didn't know where he was going. He kind of, you know, stopped and then ran towards the sidelines. Like, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if, if you can establish a, a, a running game with the running back and then run the quarterback off of that, I think that's, that's a good way to live. I, and I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I'm not disagreeing. I, I think uh, – they just need to, to dedicate themselves to it more. And I mean, even, even in a Zigbo like year would be 155 carries. Doesn't seem like it should be that hard to get to in a regular year. Yeah, that's fair. The, the, the other concern I would toss in here is one that again, we've talked about a bunch and it has been for a little while, but really it just comes down to the, the coverage units for both punt return and kick return cost Nebraska dearly this year. You know, we, we used to always say that special teams, uh, was hidden yardage. I mean, it's a sledgehammer hitting Nebraska in the face anymore in these games. And so uh, they, they really have to figure out how to tighten some of that up and come in with some sort of actual strategy because these pop-up kicks, they were still giving up 15-yard returns on them. And if a guy catches it at the 25 or the 30 and you're still giving up that kind of yardage, like the pop-up kick isn't doing exactly what you want either. So um, I, I'm very curious, you know, what that looks like in terms of the coverage unit. I think punting will get a little bit better if they get their actual punter in there and Daniel Turney, uh, because that rugby style punting does sort of eliminate some of those returns. So we'll see uh, if that plays into it as well. But I, I, I'm very curious, you know, with, with the kickoffs. And then of course, Nebraska has no threat in terms of kick return either. So that's another part of special teams. But I do think they made some progress, certainly in the, the, the kicking aspect of it, other than kickoff. So um, I, some good and, and some more puzzling things out of special teams. But I, I think that's an area where I think it's a, I don't know if I want to say it's an effort thing, but I think you have to like really sort of sit down and, and plan it out and put real time into it. And it just sometimes feels like Nebraska just flies by the seat of their pants with special teams, or that's what it looks like as the end product on Saturday. Yeah. The kick return actually is, frustrating in the sense that I don't know that did Nebraska get one beyond the 30 yard line this year I don't know maybe one they did um, there's one well and it, there might have been a holding on it but there was one return that Alante Brown had that was pretty nice and I think they got to the 40 and Alante I understand it you know guys come here to make plays and a guy back there if he gets a shot he wants his turn the problem was they didn't really have multiple didn't block for him yeah, no, they didn't. Uh, there weren't even like multiple success stories where it justified by the last few games of the years, not just waving your hand and taking the ball to 25 every time. Cause we can talk about the coverage parts, but I think there was twice in the Rutgers game in particular when Nebraska, you know, tried to return a kick and uh, got knocked down at about the 15 yard line. And you could go through the list of games and find field position where Nebraska was starting on like their 17 yard line, um, you know, because of they decided to try to take it out. So, um, but you want to be able to take it out too. That's the thing you want to, you want to have guys who have that thought that I can make a big play and that's part of your arsenal. But 
un, until you, I don't know. It, it's, it is a frustrating deal over there. Um, and I know they looked under the hood a long time at it last year. Cause we, we sat down with coaches at the round table and every coach has like their own little assignment with special teams. Um, so I know that it's definitely in their thoughts a lot, but it, it's, it, as Scott Frost, you could tell he's a little exasperated by it by the end of the year. All right, let's uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. We're actually going to switch gears to basketball. Big Ten play starts Tuesday night. Well, Big Ten play has already started, but Big Ten play for Nebraska starts on Tuesday night, and we'll pick the the brain of Michael Bruns to see where the Huskers sit as the uh, the Big Ten season rolls around. They played Dome last week. I don't think we've talked about that win yet, and we will uh, we'll see what Eduardo Andre and Trevor Lakes bring to the team going forward. Stick around for that. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, and we are back. So, Brunts, talk to us about Nebraska's new additions that have been on the roster but finally got a play against Stone last week. So we got uh, – you, you teased it. Eduardo Andre, all seven-foot-five wingspan of him uh, in the game against some poor poor kids from the Midwest at Doan. Um, you know – it's tough because Nebraska needs Eduardo Andre to, to eat up some minutes. They need, they need some more rim protection. They need some rebounding. Um, and, and he, you know, was out for the 21 days with the COVID protocol, basically couldn't do anything and is now having to work his way into shape um, and do that while also facing uh, some pretty damn good big 10 teams um, as, as he's going through that. So I, I actually was, and, and again, big grain of salt with going against an NAIA opponent, but I, I, I saw some athleticism. He had a couple nice post moves. 
and you know did kind of what I think they're going to need him to do. He grabbed a couple rebounds, had a couple blocks, uh, finished around the rim, which was a, a nice change uh, for Nebraska's post players. And you know we'll see. I mean, he, he's going to get tested right out of the gates tonight uh, against a Wisconsin team that has two really good bigs um, that, that are going to really kind of pound the ball at him. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I, I think he's going to kind of be a, a work in progress. Fred Hoiberg said yesterday, whether or not he's ready, he's going to play. So um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But I, I think he's a guy that you're going to see improve as the year goes along. I think it's just going to be on Nebraska to keep his confidence up and put him in some good spots uh, to hopefully make some plays. And then Trevor Lakes, uh, with the NCAA changing their transfer rules, he was immediately eligible. Uh, made his first three or four – I think he was three three for three to start from three-point range. Uh, finished with 12 points and was basically what you'd expect. And, and what they, they wanted from him was a guy that can knock down threes, who can spread the floor. Uh, he had this one shot where it was almost like a video game glitch where it looked like he was already like in his shooting motion, like on the way up as he caught the ball, which was strange. But, um, you know, that that's kind of what they're going to want from him is, you know, get in the game, knock down a couple threes, create some space for Banton and Teddy Allen and those guys to get to the rim. I mean, that that's it. And, and for him, I think it's going to be a matter of how much can he guard and, and rebound his position. Uh, otherwise, I think you're going to probably see him for, you know, 15 minutes or so a game, um, you know, probably finish with a, a point total that's divisible by three. And, and that's uh, good enough for Nebraska. So it, it's it's a unique situation. I mean, you're adding these two guys to the rotation in the middle of the season. You're also adding Derek Walker uh, on January 4th as another uh, capable post. So the rotation is going to look different um, for Nebraska, but uh, the, the the level of competition that they're going to see over these next few games, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, you've got Wisconsin tonight. You play Michigan at home on Christmas night. Five days later, you go to Ohio State, then you've got Michigan State and Purdue after that. So it's it's not going to be easy. And I think as we've talked about, I think Nebraska can play – much better in the Big Ten than they did a year ago, and they're still going to be challenged to have anything to show for it. Yeah, it's a rough, rough conference out there uh, with with just a seemingly as deep as it's ever been, and and not just deep, but I mean these teams are like legit, and so Nebraska, if they earn some victories here early, will really I think surprise some people. Does the addition of Trevor Lakes take some pressure off of some of these other guys that were expected to immediately provide three-point shooting? Uh, I, I think it supplements it. I mean, I think of the additions, I think the guy that probably benefits the most from it is Lat Mayen. Um, you know, he's been having to play a lot of the five it, to, to start the season, and hopefully with Walker – and also with Andre in there, with along with Ivan, that allows him to play the four. I think he's a little bit more of a matchup issue for teams. He can play on the perimeter a little bit more um, on offense and doesn't have to, you know, really kind of be taxed on defense as much as he has been. So I think he, he probably benefits the most from those guys. Um, like I said, I mean, it, it's tough to know with Lakes kind of how he matches up with guys because, you know, he's coming from a D2 program 
His first game was against an NAIA program, which you, you would hope that he would look pretty comfortable in there. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, Wisconsin's going to defend the heck out of him and really make life difficult for him. So uh, I, I think kind of the, the jury is still out on all the, the guys that they're adding to the rotation right now. But, I mean, it's to, – to go back to the competition aspect of it, I mean, you're, you're, you're opening Big Ten play against a Wisconsin team that beat the number 23 team in the country, 85 to 48 in their last game out. And I believe made 16 three pointers in that game. So how many charges did they take? Probably about the same number. 16 charges. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's just the ones that were called. I mean, it was, they probably tried to take at least 40. So, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and it's, you know, tonight's matchup, you've got Nebraska that's going to want to try to run and play fast. You know, they're a top 25 team uh, in pace according to, in tempo, according to Ken Palm. Wisconsin's, I, I believe, 13th or 14th in the Big Ten in that category, uh, maybe in the bottom 50 in D1. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, I think Nebraska's going to have to uh, adjust itself a little bit and, and not get into a uh, – a huge back and forth game because I don't know that that necessarily benefits them a ton. Last thing for you here. Is there anything that has surprised you about this group so far through the first month and a half of the season? Actually, it's just really a month. They haven't been playing that long. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been surprised that they haven't made more three pointers. I mean, I, I guess, you know, you, you completely reset the deck on most of your perimeter players from last season outside of Thor and Nebraska's shooting 32% from three-point range right now. I mean, if you can get that number up a little bit, I think that makes them significantly more competitive in these games. I mean, I, I think that's been the biggest surprise to me is that they haven't been more consistent in that area with some of the guys that they have. I mean, you know, Lat's been really struggling from, from shooting from three-point range. Uh, he needs to take more shots, quite frankly. Um, and so that, that's been the biggest surprise that, you know, the, it seems like offensively it, it looks really good at times. And other times it just looks significantly more difficult than it needs to. And, and maybe, maybe that's just having too high expectations, but it seems like their personnel would, would lead to them being more efficient offensively than they have been. All right, I want to finish up with this. Who would you have put at the number four spot if you were running the college football playoff, Brian Christopherson? Uh, Texas A&M. Any particular reason? Um, I don't think Notre Dame's that good. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it, it'd either be Texas A&M or Cincinnati. Um, I, I – I've been kind of down on Notre Dame since I watched them week one. They're just, they, they've gotten by and I understand their record is what it is. Uh, I was fine with Ohio state being included, even playing six games, even though it's a, it's, I mean, it's a bizarre thing when one, you've got one team that's has 11 games and one team that has six. I mean, it's just, it's so weird, but um, I'm okay with that part, but I feel like somebody else could have, been better than Notre Dame but they got they got what they wanted I mean they got their Alabama Notre Dame the helmets look good together you know to get your Clemson Ohio State rematch Dabo's already taking little jabs at 
uh, Ohio State and voting them number 11. So it's all setting up just how they want it. I, though, myself, uh, maybe this is how people felt about Nebraska football and some of the stuff in the 80s and 90s. I'm bored at the top with college football. I really am. I felt this way for like five or six years. It's like the same old, same old. We're repeating this. It's the same teams every year. And uh, I think there's a part of the country that's a little bit um, – they, they, they need some uh, some new blood up there. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, I think – I think I would be I'm in I'm in favor of expanding the playoff just for for some different helmets you know like I think that's where you'd allow like a Cincinnati or somebody like that in um I don't know A&M's you know the, their resume wasn't great what do they have uh, two two wins over they have, they have two teams? Wins over teams over 500 yeah I mean it's the SEC wasn't good like that's my biggest takeaway from this is that Florida, Georgia, and A&M beat up on bad teams, and Alabama beat up on everybody else. Um, and so I just I, – I think it would be a really tough year to, to have this playoff. And so I, I kind of agree with what BC sort of said there. I would have – this is a year that, you know, you put a Cincinnati in. I think that they deserve it. I'm more interested in seeing Cincinnati play Alabama than I would be Notre Dame. And I thought Notre Dame was the second-best team in the country until they got waxed by Clemson. And so I if, if – you're not going to put in Cincinnati, then I guess Notre Dame would be my answer. But I'd rather see the Bearcats in that situation. Because what are we protecting against? Blowouts? Because yeah. Alabama already blew out Texas A&M. Clemson already blew out Notre Dame. Like, I, I don't understand the argument to not put in a team like Cincinnati. I don't. Put in San Jose State, you cowards. Yeah, give me a group of five playoff. I'd rather watch that. I, I saw that floated. Like, if you had, like, a – a four, a top four of those groups. I mean, you'd be looking at Cincinnati, Coastal Carolina, probably BYU, and uh, San Jose State. I think San Jose State, and then you'd look at um, Louisiana Lafayette over BYU. Maybe this is an old guy comment, but I feel like – I do feel like college football has lost some charm. Um, and part of it is – the playoff structure, while maybe it produces a, a more true national champion than it did in the old days, I feel like I kind of will go with what Kirk Herbstreet was saying a couple weeks back. There's so much emphasis, and his outlet is the driving force of this, to be honest, on basically who's in the top four every week and all this, that, all the, that we, we throw everything else to the, to the background. And it felt like when I was growing up, that wasn't the case as much. Like there was, there was more excitement about all the different little bowl games. And, you know, there were seven or eight of them on New Year's and each of them had their own sort of appeal. And I just feel like we, we basically act like if you're not in the top four now, it's trash. And the problem is there's only about five teams that are right now at that level that are getting in the top four every year, five or six teams. And so everybody else is, you know, kind of second fiddle right now. And uh, I, I think college football is in kind of a bad spot, honestly. I, I cover it, and I have gone into some playoffs recently. Well, I'll watch the games, and there's been some great ones like Clemson-Ohio State last year. I'm not, like, pumped up to watch as great as the athletes are on the field. I don't get that fired up to watch Clemson play Alabama for round seven. I just don't anymore. I've seen it, you know. So I need, I do need some different helmets at some point to bust through here. And 
if that means expanding to make it happen, something's got to change. All right. BC says something's got to change. I, I agree with all of that. Uh, there's, there's not a single thing I would dispute inside of there. Um, we uh, looks like we're out of time. We're not going to be able to get into any lethal weapon talk today. We'll save that for, <laughs> for a podcast next week. I know that was something Brunts wanted to bring up, but that's well, Brunts. We'll just have to save it. Is that okay with you? That's fine. We'll, we'll save it for after Christmas. <laughs> yeah, <we're laughs> because it is definitely not a Christmas movie. <laughs> all right. <laughs> no one's going to get that. I'm completely fine with it. That's we're all right. Gonna take a break. Uh, we're not taking a break. We're leaving. We're done. We're not hearing from us again until after Christmas, but there'll be plenty of stuff up on the website. Be sure to check out Husker 24-7. We'll be back with another podcast probably before the year ends. We'll come up with some things to talk about. We'll dive into Nebraska basketball, what they've been doing their first two games in the Big Ten Conference, and I'm sure there'll be a little recruiting talk, maybe some portal talk, a lot of stuff that we can dive into next time on the Husker 24-7 podcast. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.